how to pray for faith conversations has several sub-questions, and the one that I'm going to focus on is what to pray, because the when is pretty easy, right? When do we pray? All the time. time. Without ceasing, yeah. Um, And part of the, the standard content of our prayer life should be for God to work in calling his people to himself. Specifically, people that we know and generally people that we don't even know, that God would bring them into your neighborhood, your schools, your workplace, that God would bring visitors to this church, that God would bring people into all the spheres of influence that you have as a step of bringing them toward himself uh, in in faith. And so the the win is always, (laughs) without ceasing, And if you're one of those folks who struggle to have a disciplined prayer life, it is important to set aside time for prayer because you set aside time for things that have to happen. You see that in the rest of your life, right? There's lots of stuff you want to do, but the stuff that actually gets done is the stuff you set aside time for. And so you do need to carve out time. But... You also, and I don't want to say more importantly, but it's critical, you also need to learn to make prayer part of the normal tenor of your life. You need to make prayer asking of God, praising God, reflecting on the work of God, just part of what you think about. When you're driving down the road, when you're on a walk, in between meetings, when you walk away from an interaction with your spouse or your child or your coworker, you, you just need to get to the point in the Christian life where you're not so sanctimonious that everything you say is covered in this God language all the time and people are afraid to have real conversations in front of you because they think what they're going to get is a Jesus Hallmark card in return. And yet, the way you think is biblically. The way you process your experience and the information that comes through is biblically. And therefore, because you're thinking biblically yourself, your mental responses are prayers. They're addressed to God, to God in praise, to God in thanksgiving, to God for petition and help and not going through that experience of, oh, I can't ask God to help me control my temper in this meeting because it's the first time I've acknowledged God all day and it's 1130 a.m. and God thinks I'm just coming to him as a vending machine and I only want something from him. And I No, stop. Just start praying. Just pray. God, help me to control my temper in this meeting. Help me to hold my tongue. Help me to be wise. Help me to be godly. And then after that meeting, God, thank you for what you enabled me to do in that meeting. Thank you for showing your glory and your love through me. Just building that into a part of life is so valuable. It will blow your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your children's minds to see people who, again, not sanctimonious, don't be that, but do filter all of life through the lens of faith and therefore have this prayer without ceasing that's always happening in your mind. Um, We have no uh, hesitation 
about talking to ourselves in the car or in the shower when we're by ourselves, why can't we talk to God when we're by ourselves? Why is that suddenly something that we think is going to get us uh, put away? So the when is without ceasing all the time. What? What do we pray for? And again, this is in the category of... um, If you fail to pray for these things, you are wrong, and God will not bless your prayer and not bless your faith conversations. No, not at all. They're just good things to think about. They're the kinds of things Scripture encourages us to think about and pray about with respect to prayer conversations. So let's talk about the what. First, we want to pray for them. We want to pray for the people that we are hoping God will draw to himself in faith or move more closely to the image of his son. Who's got Ezekiel 36, 26? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Pray that God would give them a new heart. This is only a work that God can do. You know what your own heart of stone was and at times wants to be. Pray that they would get a heart of flesh. That's what they need, and only God can give that. Acts twenty six eighteen. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is serious stuff. I mean, it's easy for us to look at unbelievers. Yeah, I really wish they would believe in Christ, but this is not so bad. They're a pretty nice person. They're taking care of their family. Things. We need to remember that this is light and darkness. This is good and evil. This is God and Satan. This is big, big stuff. And so pray that they would begin to see how big it is, that there's a battle for their soul. You're not wanting them to be a nicer person, though that may be a result. You're not wanting them to fulfill some earthly responsibility. You're wanting them to turn away from darkness and toward God's marvelous light. That's what you're wanting to happen. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So part of what you're praying for and praying for them has to come from the recognition that what you want them to do, they cannot do. They are blind. Their eyes have scales. They are veiled. The truth is hidden from them. And so you need all that to be taken away. You need God to remove the scales, to open their eyes, to to tear down the veil. You need them to be able to see. And so part of what you're praying for when you think about this aspect of it is... In the same way in faith conversations, we, we want to make sure we know the pressure's not on us because we ultimately can't change people. The pressure's not really on them because what we're asking is for a miracle of God. We're asking for God to work, to do something, to give them that new heart and open their eyes so that they can see. We also want to pray for ourselves. Uh, lots of things about Lots of aspects about this. Who's got Luke 15, 4? What if man, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Luke 15 is a great chapter to read. 
as you think prayerfully about faith conversations because you've got the lost sheep and the lost coin and you've got this this mentality of viewing the lost the way God views the lost. That's a really important thing for us to pray for ourselves is that we would see lost sheep the way God sees lost sheep. Because in the flesh, how do we tend to see the lost? Good riddance. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Evil. <laughs> less than us yeah like maybe if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps like I did then that's not how we need to see the lost we need to see the lost as lost sheep we need to see the one who wandered away from the fold where last week it would have been us right we need to see them the way God sees them and so that's our prayer God help us to see even my enemies if they are yours the way you see them It's one of those uh, tensions within the Psalms is we can pray very specifically for God to call his own to himself and save them, draw them out of darkness, no matter how great their sin. We can pray very specifically for God to redeem them. And we can pray very specifically for God to crush his enemies, for him to bring judgment and wrath on evildoers who will not repent. But we can't look at an individual person and know which one to pray. (laughs) And so we pray that God would turn them. If they're one of his, Lord, turn them. And so we've got to see even our enemies as potential sheep who have wandered from God's fold. Only God knows when people are not of his. That's not something that we can see. And so we pray that God would change us to think the way he thinks. Who's got Matthew 9, 37, 38? Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Two parts of this we want to pray for. One is very specifically what this says. We want to pray that God will raise up laborers to have these conversations and do this work. But assuming that we're praying for a specific opportunity, a specific conversation, we need to pray with gratitude that God has answered this prayer. There are people all over the world for 2,000 years praying the way that they were told to pray here, where Jesus said, pray that laborers would be raised up to reap this harvest of faith. And if God is giving us the opportunity to have these kinds of faith conversations, to help people move a step toward Him, God is answering that prayer. And we need to pray with thanksgiving toward God. We need to not see it as a burden. We need to not see it as we're doing some extraordinary thing. We are responding to the answered prayer uh, of God in this case. So we need eagerness to do the work. Uh, Romans 10.1 Brothers and We need to pray for ourselves. Now, obviously, this covers both, praying for them, those who will be saved. But I want us to think about, we need to pray for ourselves, that that would be our desire, that they would be saved. Again, back to that lost sheep mentality, but with a real emphasis on the spiritual dimension, on the the realities of how bad it is for someone who perishes apart from Christ. And we've got to be filled with eagerness that they would be saved. How well were Paul's Israelite brothers treating him at this point? Not so good. 
He's not super popular among this crowd. And yet he is eager. His desire is that they will be saved. And we need to pray that we would share in that desire. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by them. So I put these two together because we need to pray for both boldness and gentleness. We need to be bold enough to say what needs to be said. We need to be bold enough to be willing to be counted as foolish in the eyes of the world. We need to be bold enough to put at risk social standing, opportunities. We've got to be bold enough to do this. And as we do this, we've got to be very gentle in the way that we do it. Now, it'd be a great study at some point in the future. There's major differences between gentleness and niceness, right? And the world wants you to be nice. That's not necessarily a priority for us. But gentleness, absolutely. Um, That's a fruit of the Spirit that we always need to be able to manifest. And these conversations, if you have them without gentleness, can you win? Right? I mean, just to use the casual term win, right? You you no. You, you lose when you won, right? If you can bowl over people. We were, watch, we're watching, as you all know, through Parks and Rec. And uh, yesterday's, last night we watched an episode where there's a competition between uh, Ron Swanson and Rob Lowe, Chris, on management strategies. And the question is, which management strategy is more effective? Encouragement and kindness and tenderness, or as Ron says, you can only motivate people through fear and hunger. <laughs> That's how you motivate people. <laughs> and, uh, and so the the result, which was a nice little theological parable, was that at the end of their management approaches, through fear and hunger, Ron's guinea pig got more work done, but the work was all wrong. And the people who were motivated through encouragement and help and kindness got a little less work done, but the work was done right. It was done uh, cheerfully and with joy. Uh, We need to be gentle as we have these conversations. One more thing we need to pray for, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. How much time in the last seven days did you spend Add up all the minutes, asking God specifically for wisdom. Now, hopefully, and for some of us, it's more than zero, right? It's not for me as much as it should be. Because it's, what part of my life is there where I don't need more wisdom? (laughs) I, I, I just haven't got it all figured out yet. I haven't got it. 23% figured out yet, and 12% of that's wrong. I need more wisdom. And in these conversations, we certainly recognize that what we need is wisdom. Wisdom can come through remembering things we were taught in a Sunday school class about faith conversations. But most likely, 
Wisdom is going to come through God bringing specific scriptures to your mind. That, that's the way that God most clearly answers this prayer for wisdom, is when a very specific biblical principle, a, a, a scripture or a combination of scriptures, it, it, it just comes to us, right? And, and that is, I hope when most people say God told them something, that's what they mean. God made a particular scripture clear to me uh, because that is the way he pours out wisdom. So we need to pray for them. We need to pray for us. Yeah, it's interesting. We accept that on face value with things like reading, just in general. Like you're, you're not going to gain worldly wisdom by not reading books, reading like right reading by just sitting there like contemplating a rock. But we kind of expect that from God with regard to just wisdom in general, scriptural wisdom. Yeah, not knowing scripture, but just it's going to be this ladle he's going to kind of give it to you in the moment he's going to drop it on your head and do you see why this is god's always structured worship this way so you think about we think about the way i'm going to get wisdom is i sit down with my bible and i read and i do my personal devotion and personal devotions are great you should sit down and read your bible nothing i'm about to say says you should not sit down and read your bible that is an a great also to what i'm about to say but israel didn't have bibles They didn't have copies of the law. And the way God has always structured the worship of his people is that it is so richly filled with God's word that if you had to, and you don't have to, and I'm thankful you don't have to, but if you had to, and that was the only time you encountered God's word all week, you'd have enough to recall when you pray to God for wisdom. So much scripture in what we pray and sing and confess and read and preach that there's enough there that you could go through your entire life and if that were the only exposure to scripture you had because we didn't live in the age of the printing press and the, and the internet, you didn't have a Bible, you still could not exhaust the wisdom that God could pour out on you. Um, So I'm not saying don't do the other things, personal devotion, Bible studies. Those are fantastic opportunities to dig deeper into scriptures and to connect with individuals personally. They're fantastic. Take advantage of worship is what I'm saying, (laughs) where when you really submit yourself to the flow of what's happening in the service and you walk out at the end, you were just washed with scripture for an hour. And that's how it should be. Right? If scripture is about Christ and the word of Christ, you should walk out of the service feeling the, 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 the joy of that. All right, so one, another thing we need to pray for, and I'll be real quick on this one, but it's one I just think we may not think about as much against, is we need to pray against Satan. Second uh, Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We need to remember through prayer that people's eyes aren't remaining closed and covered in scales through indifference. There is a great evil one. There is an enemy of God who delights in taking people that God made in his image and claiming his own lordship over them and not letting them go. And he is so strong and powerful that only God himself can break his clutches on a sinner. 
Now, it's not hard for God to do that. There's not like a, you know, Satan is level eight wizard and God is level nine and they fight. But in the end, God wins. No, 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 no. There is no comparison between the power between God and Satan. One is the immortal God and the other is a created thing. But Satan is very powerful. And as we have faith conversations, we need to remember that we're going up against an enemy who does not want us to succeed. And that enemy is not the person we're talking to. That the, the conversation is a visible manifestation of an invisible war in the heavenlies. And we are putting on our armor and we are going to fight that war uh, or, or have our part in fighting that war. And Satan does not want us to win. And, and we would do well to remember that and to pray that God would refrain, uh, restrain Satan in this particular person's life and in this conversation. And then finally, not, I mean, not really finally, because y'all could think of a million great things to pray for in these conversations, but it's just my reflections from this week. Uh, Pray for God's glory. It's got Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Remember that when you're having these conversations and you're playing your small part, in redemptive history. All the glory of redemptive history is Jesus's. All of it. Every person who has ever been saved would not have been saved without Christ. We would not be secure in our salvation without Christ. And so remember the part that we're playing, which is good and noble and God-honoring, but it's God's glory. It's, it's, this is what Jesus came to do. And we are being used by him in that glorifying task. Who's got John 6.44? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we check our egos in these conversations, and we pray that God would help us to check our egos. No, nobody comes unless Jesus chooses to work. They, the sheep... Don't come because of your voice. The sheep come because through your voice, they hear the voice of the good shepherd. That's the voice they hear. And that voice knows them and speaks exactly what they need to hear the way they need to hear it. And his sheep come to him. And so all the glory and salvation is Christ. And we check our ego and we relax. Right? Because it's his voice, not ours, that will ultimately win the day. He's got Isaiah 61 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. When we pray for faith conversations, we should not forget to stand in awe of the glory of what we get to proclaim. When we get to proclaim Christ to other people, we are not proclaiming the works righteousness that so much of the world is wrapped up in. We are not proclaiming the every man for himself that has taken our culture hostage. When we get to proclaim Christ, we get to proclaim liberty for the captives. 
What an amazing thing to be able to tell people. Brother, no matter how great your sin, Christ offers you freedom. Sister, no matter how deep your guilt, Christ offers you reconciliation. No matter how hurtful your pain, God restores. We get to proclaim that message. Good grief, what a privilege. What a God-glorifying privilege. Think about uh, lots of people who have to go door to door (laughs) proclaiming nonsense, all types of stuff that is ultimately just some sort of workspace pyramid scheme. But if people pay too much attention to it, even though you have a smile and you're super nice, you're piling heavy loads on their backs and giving them more and more and more they have to do and live up to. We don't have to go around and proclaim that kind of message to the world. Because the message that our God gave us to give to the world is this one. Liberty to the captives. Bind up the broken hearted. Put their hearts back together. We live in a world of broken hearted people. That's what sin does. It breaks hearts. And God gives us a message that binds that back up. And he uses us, imperfect vessels to declare this perfect word of liberty. Uh, Absolutely incredible. Uh, One last topic on prayer before we wrap. Back to the just closing thoughts on when to pray. We talked about uh, at all times, we talked about making it part of the normal flow of life. But we also need to have an answer to the how long, O Lord, problem. Because especially when it comes praying for people's salvation, I don't want to beat you up on this. I believe that the people in your life that you love, that you're praying for to come to know Christ, you are praying with faith. You are praying with as much hope as you can muster, right? And it seems like it takes forever, if ever at all. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Two takeaways from this I want to close with. Uh, One is, in the how long, O Lord, just remember that he who controls the universe has a lot of parts and pieces in the apparatus that he uses to call his people to himself. He's using more than just you in whatever person's life this is. You may be planting seed. Somebody else may be watering. God is going to give the growth. So be content with the role God has given you and do that role as faithfully as you can. But then secondly, as you say, how long, O Lord, let that give you a sense of urgency for the task that shows the other person how desperately you want this for them. 
I'm not saying how you do it, but it should be as evident to them that you desperately want them to believe in Christ as it is to your Christian friends when you bring up, hey, please pray for my brother or please pray for someone else. You've got to find ways to show people how desperately you want them to believe in Christ, how much you think this matters. You've got to set aside your pride. Um, and, and we say things like, I don't want to embarrass them or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cut off the relationship or I don't want to do... And there are things to consider with all of that. But another important thing to consider is if I ask that person, if I, a complete stranger, said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think your friend, your sister, your whatever, wants you to know Christ? How high would they put that number? Because if... If it takes so long, it's because God isn't doing that work yet. So you need a sense of urgency and desperation to ask God to do that work. Because ultimately, that's what's going to change things. That's what's going to make a difference, is that God would do the work. So you need a sense of urgency. You need to be pleading with God. I could have put in the verse about the persistent widow. I could, right? You need to be pleading with God, and that person needs to have a sense. I'm not saying you just have to word vomit on them. <laughs> that person has to have a sense of how desperately you want them to know Christ.